Hello, welcome to the XX Mormon podcast. I am conducting and presiding over us with his priesthood powers, Laban. Again, yay! And this time I got my loud breathing under control, so that won't be in the background. <laughs> You're trying to talk. Um, but we are honored to have our guest speaker, Laban, here. And Laban had this amazing idea that we'll try to make funny, but it's kind of for serial, kind of serious. Um, but we thought we would talk about how the church causes people to internalize shame. And that's just hardcore parkour, but that's like per the course, you know what I mean? So here we are. How do you feel about this, Laban? Inter introduce yourself again. <laughs> Hi, I am Laban, and um, this uh, this is a topic that uh, I I was as I was preparing for it, I was thinking to myself, how can we make this lighthearted a little bit? Cause it's a heavy topic. <laughs> we'll find a way. There's a will. There's a way. You know. Fair enough. I agree. So I'll I'll sprinkle in. Um, the first part is like, also the loud sirens or whatever the hell is going on outside of my apartment. Sorry if anyone can hear that. It's, it's wild. Um, but did you want to define shame or should we just like take stabs in the dark about that definition? What do you feel? Um, we can talk about that for a minute. Cause I was actually talking to a family member tonight. And her definition of shame was different than mine. And so I think it is important mm -hmm. to define that um, because the common misconception that I, I hear is that guilt and shame are interchangeable and that they go, I mean, they, they do kind of go hand in hand, but they aren't the same thing. And so the way that I was defining shame and the way that I found it to be from like different sources online is basically guilt is when you feel bad for doing something, but shame is when you're, it's when you feel bad about like who you are kind of a thing. That's fair. So it's, it's deeper. I would agree. So I'll pull up the little Google definition I found and then expound upon, did I cut you off by the way? No, you didn't. Yeah, okay. So I don't, I'm a fast talker, and I just don't know. Um, but according to the Oxford language definition, um, pain, uh, shame as a noun is painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. When shame is a verb, it is when you try to make someone feel ashamed so humiliate mortify embarrass um those are other words for it so it's interesting because shame only exists if you're conscious of a wrongdoing which is kind of funny and not really funny funny not like not funny ha ha funny weird um the sirens again it's a classic staple on this podcast if heavenly mother's on you're gonna hear a siren just part of the gig. Um, 
By the way, I'm also recording this different than I normally do. I'm going to mute myself because these are out of control. You expand. So, um, the other part of it that I found is like shame. It basically, it describes feelings of inadequacy created by internal, internalized negative self-beliefs. So like personal insecurities, secret mistakes, perceived flaws. So it's like almost an unconscious thing i think that we we aren't always aware of and that's part of what makes shame a tricky thing because there's unconscious beliefs and maybe they are conscious for people that are more self-aware of what's going on there but it's under the surface for sure and it's stemming from us feeling inadequate about ourselves for all kinds of different reasons. Preach it. Oh, I was going to finish my thought before the sirens rudely interrupted because they're instruments of the devil and they want to stop the good the good work that you and I are doing. Um, is shame only exists if you're conscious of it. In the church, so does sin, right? Because if you don't know, you know, you don't know what you don't know or when you know better, you do better type of attitude. But it's kind of like, I heard this quote and it was from a poem and I hope I don't butcher this. So apologize to whoever really wrote this. But um, it's this old story or poem where this Inuit man, some man up in the Arctic is approached by these two Christian missionaries. And, they, and he asked the missionaries, so what I do as a person is a sin, right? According to your religion. And the missionary said, well, it's only a sin if you know about it. Like if you know about Jesus and you don't convert. So then the Inuit man says, then why would you tell me? Because you're basically like condemning me to hell. And shame is the same way to me. You're giving someone this consciousness. You're making somebody feel embarrassed or inadequate when they could have just been ignorant and happy. You know what I mean? Yes, deep. I know. Right? I so agree. Yes. <laughs> These deep waters, I know. And there's like research behind it too. God, I'm like, you just gave me an inch, and I'm like, we're taking a mile, even. Um, children don't learn languages faster than adults. Children learn languages so fast because they don't have shame. When, as adults, when we try to learn a second language, we get embarrassed. And we get shamed for like having an accent or mispronouncing a word where a child like doesn't care. They just keep going and they get encouraged. And a child might have a cute little speech impediment or say words wrong and it's allowed because they're developing their language. But if you're an adult and you're learning a second or third language and you pronounce it wrong or you like, it's really well. Shame, I think, holds people back. And that's a perfect example is the is the kid thing with learning languages. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Mm, throwing out deep stuff. Yes. <laughs> I, as you were talking, I was just thinking to myself, like there's so many causes for the shame. And one of those I think is, you know, as you were saying, like children don't really have that shame, but adults do when they go to learn that language. And I think a large part of that is because 
like children experience the world differently than adults do and adults they see how people are treating them and they so they experience the shame because they're like oh well they don't think i have a good accent and whatnot I already feel really self-conscious about this and they already have shame. I think oftentimes from in the past, but children, when they're, they grow up in a healthy environment, they don't have that. And so they're like, Oh, well, this is really cool. And their focus is elsewhere. And so I think a lot of it comes from focus, but Oh man, this is so deep. There's so many different avenues to take this. <laughs> I know, right? Look at the forks that I made. The forks in the road that I created from my little example. Literally all came to me now. Um, I mean, one avenue, because you said it is about focus, because it's about consciousness. You become aware of it and then creates the feelings of embarrassment. Because we're, I mean, we're conditioned socially to know what's acceptable and to know what's embarrassing and to know what's, it's kind of like cringe has its place to a point and then it becomes mm -hmm. just like bullying and harassment. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we all need to know what is cringe to a point because we have to live in a society. We have to all coexist. But I think when you are shaming people for just existing like, you're pretty much a bully, and we fall into bully and harassment. Like, you know, does that make sense? It does make sense. And, like, on that note, I think it's just, like, it's been on my mind recently. People, so when you grow up, I think it, a large part of the foundation for how we feel about ourselves and the shame that we experience in our life starts in the home, the type of home that we grew up in and the families that we had growing up. And so the adults that are experiencing these, these kind of feelings when they have, when they go to learn a new language or really do anything is I think can really be traced back to their childhood and children. Like I fully agree with you. They definitely like they know they're they're taught the social cues a lot of the times um but what what type of environment are they growing up in because i think that ultimately really shapes whether or not they're going to feel the shame in that moment i agree i agree the more open and loving and accepting the parents are and their home is and I think the more a child thrives, I mean, we've already kind of discussed this before, but how many little boys and little girls have an interest in something that just gets smashed or dashed away because it's not acceptable within their, okay, just to be on a light note, <laughs> in the film Coco, <laughs> in, the, in the beloved Pixar Disney film Coco. Which might not even be Pixar, it might just be Disney. In Coco, <laughs> the main character 
the little boy wants to be a musician and that's like shamed in his family. They have like reasons for that and multi-generational trauma from that and et cetera. But I mean, and I'm ruining the film. If you haven't seen it, you're missing out on this cinematic gold. But um, by the end of it, they tell him that they just love him no matter what and that they love him and they're always going to be his family. And that's like the point, like that was their arc for his family, dead and alive family. Um, but I think that that's how families need to be for a child to thrive because he was musically talented. So it does make me think like how many families where there was a child that could have been an incredible dancer or an incredible musician or an, anything, the list goes on. How many of them had that like dashed away by their parent or clothing designer or interior designer or anything? Cause I'm usually naming off artistic pursuits, but I'm sure there are families that dash away other dreams. I just can't think of any right now um, that they feel like they can't do it. Thanks, thanks for my allusion to to Coco. But that's you know we're on we're on kids getting shamed. We'll bring it back to the church. Don't worry, listeners. I just had to, you know, mention <laughs> one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> oh man, you know, adding to that positive note though too, because like I, I also I agree with you. I want to keep this. I want to shed some positive in in the darkness as well. Have you seen a, that's a that's a raven? Thing? I love that show. Yes, of course I've seen. <laughs> that shows my shit. That shows the jam. <laughs> I dye my hair now to look like Chelsea. Just kidding. Or am I being serious? You don't know. Continue. Oh, that's funny. Um, I just like. I've been watching that show because I, I remember it being around growing up and I didn't really watch it much. And I look at it now and I'm like, wow, there's so many things in it that I didn't realize were there. But Raven, it's it's interesting, the family dynamics that go on there and how she has them because of like who she is. She has a lot of moments that could be really defining for her she could feel a lot of a lot of shame and being self-conscious about herself and but her character her character doesn't really seem to internalize that she basically just like brushes things off and you know she accepts accountability for her actions and for the the little gimmicks and situations that she ends up in and then she just keeps on going but there's a level of confidence there that i think is very admirable for the situations that she is in so it's like people respond so differently to the the background that they grow up in i like that and you answered as you were speaking you answered a question that i thought of is like what makes somebody you know things bounce off of them versus what makes them internalize the shame and i think it's your original point that it probably comes from early childhood do i internalize this do i take it in do i blame myself does it somehow now become part of me which then it's no longer guilt then it is shame it's this larger concept 
or do I know that it has nothing to do with me and I can just, it's a, it's a mistake or it's a this, or it's, it's not that big of a deal. And I think you're right. So if we loop this in, we loop this point and this concept into the toxicity of the church, I would say that the church encourages people to internalize shame because everything is your fault as the member, as a lower level member. I think when you're at the top, they truly don't have shame or a conscious or guilt or any remorse or things like that. Or if they do, it's very small. But I think the average little member, lower level member, they are taught to everything. Try your best after all that you can do. Like that quote literally just makes me want to throw up. But that's what we're told, you know, after all you can do, then you rely on Jesus. But it's never like, um, you know, it certainly doesn't lead with grace, which is a concept that could definitely counteract shame. But the church needs people to be ashamed because then they keep coming. Those are my thoughts yes. and my words on the matter. <laughs> I agree with you 100% on that. Because, like, I mean, just thinking about this, there's, I don't even know 100% anymore everything that I believe in, even spiritually right now. But, man, I've, growing up in the church, there's a million things I, I could say about it. But I think at the end of the day, the culture where, you know, be be obedient to God and even the whole do so and be, it's almost like a blind kind of a thing. And if you don't do that, then there's, there's something wrong with you. Not your actions can be corrected, but th there's something wrong with you. And I definitely feel like that's that's the attitude, the type of vibe that I get from a lot of church members. And I I want to know where that really originated from, where that started. I'm so glad you asked, friend, because Gary for history lesson. I'm kidding, but not really. Um, no fair, and that transitioned really well into our our points that we made. By the way, listeners, I'm not looking at my phone to be rude. You sent me amazing notes about shame, and I keep pulling them up because my phone keeps logging. So I'm always like, man, is she texting? <laughs> I'm literally not. That's so fucking rude. No, I'm I'm looking at the points that we made, and you segued really well into the culture of the church because that was one of the topics. Basically. When people feel ashamed and inadequate, like you had said at the beginning, like when you were describing shame, they're easier to control because an empowered, confident person, things bounce off of them. They, like you were saying about that's a raven, excellent tie-in as well. Um, it just, they're harder to control. But if you're someone who is vulnerable and it's nobody's fault why they're vulnerable, I want to get that like this isn't a victim blaming thing um everyone is vulnerable just in different ways so the church finds really good ways effective ways good isn't the right word effective ways to control people through their insecurities and their vulnerabilities um and one of those is just the deep feeling of you'll never be good enough i think that's a really really big tool 
And when we think about the history of the church, like the beginning, like the OG Joseph Smith, you know, the evil man that started it all, really, the source of all of our problems, Laban, um, he would control people through that. You always need to give more, do more to make it to the celestial kingdom. And that was the origin. And that's how he roped people in and hooked people in and got them to do what he wanted them to do was that there's always these promises of these prizes of these blessings. And if the blessings weren't coming, it was because you needed to do more. And it's true. Like with the prophecies that he would make and the promises that he would make that language is all over the place. And in the doctrine and covenants, it's there really heavily. And that culture that he created was like then pumped up on steroids by Brigham Young. And then it never left because it's a way to control people. Like that's how, that's the, that's the origin. And then it takes on like weird little forms and kind of changes its little hat and changes its little mask. But at the root of it is keep striving for these prizes. Keep striving like Trek E. Cheese. Keep playing on the, what are they called? Oh my God, arcade games. For the prizes that you'll never win, I'll never be good enough. Like, there's an episode on this podcast about temples. There's more than one, actually, because it's such a wild concept. But when you get to the temple, because, like, the temple's a secret. And then you get to the temple and you're like, what is this even about? And they're like, shh, it's a secret. (laughs) Like, what does this (laughs) even mean? And it's like, it's a secret. But you're you're told that the temple's going to be this amazing, incredible all that in a bag of chips and you get there and you're like, I mean, it's kind of boring and really uncomfortable. And I feel claustrophobic because there's no windows in several of these rooms. Um, And then, but you're told like, but it's great and amazing. And it's a secret. Like there's these empty promises. You feel that makes sense. But that's what keeps people hooked. And so, haha, if you think the temple isn't amazing, you feel bad about you. I guess I'm not worthy enough. Because I didn't yeah. get the magic. I'm not getting this. That's you problem. That's you problem. Yes. What am I doing wrong that makes it so I can't feel anything kind of a thing? If I don't have a spiritual experience, what am I doing wrong? If I don't go on a mission, what am I doing wrong? Or if I'm not getting converts on said mission, or my yes. less actors aren't coming back, or me and my companion aren't getting along. I must be. The list goes on. It makes it all about the person. And I think there's so many personal, terrible, sad stories from ex-Mormons about like specific promises that they were told they were going to have that didn't pan out because like, surprise, it was all a scam, but they would feel shame about it. You know, like people have the patriarchal blessings that are like, hey, it said I would get married and I never did. Or it said I would have children and I never could. But it's like a, but what did you do? (laughs) But what did you do? I mean, it's, I think that that's the origin as it goes all the way back to Joseph Smitty's and his little ways to rope people in because they're easier to control if you make them, people always look inward it's really weird it's very much like a strength that okay here's the deal taking accountability and responsibility for things is a personal strength 
what the church does to people is turn it into a weapon where people take responsibility and accountability for things that are not their fault or their problem. Yes, I agree with that. Word. But then Um, also simultaneously not taking responsibility for like the bad things that the church has done. <laughs> but the church itself is like, but we've never done anything wrong. It's always the members. Yes. At the same time. Like, uh, I'll touch on this just a little bit, but I don't want to go too deep into it because I, as we've been talking about, let's keep this not a super dark topic because it's oh boy it certainly can be fair fair, I, fair. Good, <laughs> good call good call I, Wise I, just, I just i have this one memory growing up where so for those of you listeners who don't know my story i grew up so i'm i'm trans a trans man but i i grew up thinking I was a lesbian in the church and when I was about 11 12 years old I tried to come out to my parents and I remember I don't remember what my train of thought was like why I couldn't just say it to their faces except that I I remember fearing their response and so I wrote them a letter and then I wanted to just like leave it in an envelope on the kitchen table or something and then go to my room so that they could read it and then we could have a conversation about it later but it, it didn't go that way because they they read it and then they called me into the room and i just remember my mom's my stepmom's response her response was something to the effect of you 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 can't be you can't be a lesbian you can't like women like this isn't who you are how do you know this and keeping in mind like i was like 11, 12 years old, by that point, you would think the average person knows what their sexuality is, knows who they like. And just her reaction was, no, that's not, that's not who you are. That that's not. And so my thought process at that young of an age was, is there something wrong with being like this? Is there something wrong with me? Kind of a thing. And so and that also ties back into the the part with the church where you know if you don't fit in with the norm and i'm i'm sure that you have experienced this settling other where if you're any type of a minority in the group then there's something wrong with you you're shamed for it so it's like uh we can learn to heal and move on from this but i i definitely see some very deep rooted internalized shame that runs in the church runs in the culture and i think honestly i don't even think it is just the culture i think like you were talking about it is, it runs deep in the doctrine starting with with joseph smith word and there's certain things in like this is gonna sound weird, but I think it's gonna make perfect sense to you, Laban. You're like, yeah, that was how it was. Because as someone who was like Native American in the church, I was supposed to feel shame that I wasn't gung ho about every aspect. Does that make sense? Yes, so, it like, does. So I would feel I was supposed to feel ashamed for things I didn't feel ashamed for. 
but then that would make me feel confused and then in turn shame because I was supposed to feel like I was supposed to like identify with Nephites or be totally totally comfortable with the Book of Mormon but I wasn't but it was like but how dare you not and I think that's probably how it feels for any member that's gay or trans is like, but I like being this way or I like who I am. And no, you don't. Like that's literally what you're told is like mm, wrong, wrong answer. Immediately. No, stop. You're lying. You're like, but I'm not. And they're like, no, I had that a lot. And then um, another thing, cause you probably goes back to Joseph Smith. There's some stuff that's just like in the scriptures because it's in the Bible and it's in the book of Mormon and it's in the doctrine and covenants where people who like make little mistakes or like have doubts are like horribly punished. You know what I mean? And it's like, if that doesn't give you internalized shame, I don't know what will like that poor woman mm -hmm. that like turns assault. Like what the fuck? Like <laughs> why are these the most extreme things that happen to people? I do have like this crazy story. We're almost running out of time, but it was about like a way that I was supposed to feel shame. So I, on my mission, I wanted to say no to getting a companion that I'd already had before. And we didn't vibe well. It was a really bad experience, but they were going to pair us up again. Um, and I was on the outskirts of my mission, like the whole time, like I was out in the boondocks, very far from the mission capital. Nobody really thought about me. No one really worried about me except that creepy elder that I already complained about. Um, but I got paired up with this sister that I had a similar experience where she was sort of out yonder. And that's kind of how they, we got paired up a second time. They didn't really put much thought into it, but I didn't want to say yes. Cause I was like, I already had her and it didn't go good. And my mission president calls me up and he tells me this story about this opportunity this man was going to have in the church. And it was really important, but because he didn't have a temple recommend, it had to go to somebody else. So then he tells me, he's like, I can't tell you the spiritual consequences of saying no. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, I got this campaign again and it went really great the second time, but she's like not a bad person. At least I don't, I mean, maybe she is, I don't know. But she was cool the second time, but it was like, you're making, <laughs> it's just, you, you literally as a Mormon, you feel shame for the things that don't happen. <laughs> like the opportunities you could have had. Like what? Like we're living in an imaginary hypothetical. It just like tickles me pink, like. You're making, trying to make me feel bad about stuff. An unknown future that could have been yours if you were righteous. Like, yeah. that's so therapeutically unhealthy like, to live in the unreal. Like, I can't. We might not mm -hmm. have time this time, but we could do like, a, how do you heal from internalized shame? Because I've got ideas, Laban. What are your thoughts? We have like, yes. Yes. Say your spiel. I think. We should do a part two and talk about that um, because there's so many things that go into it. I do want to share, though, um, some facts that go into this that I thought were interesting, if that's okay. Um, so go basically, for it. You're on a roll. Take the money. <laughs> so I just learned this and thought it was really interesting. The shame part so shame influences or it's like it's connected to the fight or flight response in us and i did not know that 
Um, and we can feel the shame in our body through like tension, the shoulders, discomfort, discomfort in our skin, through the stomach. Um, so we can tell if we're feeling shame by paying attention to our body. And obviously the our bodies are those things might not be connected to shame for some people. It might be different things, but those those are some of the ways that we can feel it. And so I thought that was interesting. I love that. I like what you're saying. I'm picking up what you're dropping because we can tie that into when we talk about like the therapeutic aspect. But since we are running out of time, I wanted to know who you wanted to close this wonderful session in the name of. What were you thinking? Because I've got a couple ideas. <laughs> They're not that funny. The, I mean, they could be. I don't know. In the name of Moses. In the name of Moses. Fair. I was thinking Brene Brown because she studied shame. Um, yes. I, I love yeah. it. Yeah, we could do Brene Brown. Or there's this really good YouTube video I like called Cringe by Natalie Wynn where she analyzes cringe and shame. Um, and I love her and I've like literally sung her praises before on the podcast, but we've never sung the praises of Brene Brown or Moses. <laughs> Maybe they're the same person. <laughs> the same person. <laughs> Moses and Brene Brown are the same. Reincarnated. Moses <laughs> reincarnated is Brene Brown. I'm vibing I think, with that. <laughs> I think we should do Renee Brown. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? I think we should do Renee Brown because I've read some of her stuff and that's really good. I like it. I like it too. It lacks a little bit of intersectionality and nuance because she is a cisgendered white, straight white woman, but it's still really good. And it's a foundation for, I think, the dominant culture, which is that straight Christian white people. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. They're among us at all times. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, maybe there is actually. I shouldn't say it like that. I mean, <laughs> the world's kind of going to hell in a handbasket. So, I mean, yeah. we just need more diverse. Here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with straight white Christian people, period. But like, some of them are bad. But some of anybody is bad. There you go. Some people are bad no matter who you are. And that's okay. That's not okay. God, what am I saying? I'm falling over myself. Ah, now I feel ashamed. <laughs> you can do the closing. Do you know the little closing statement? Like, we say these things. And... Uh, we say these things in the name of Renee Brown. That was Brene. Is it Renee? Am I wrong? Are you, wait. I think it's, I think it's Renee Brown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to believe you. And you wrapped it up. So, yeah, we'll do part two when you say these things in the name of... Renee Brown. <laughs> All right.